Wild Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2.com. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me here on the Talent Talk Radio Show. I've got uh, two great guests lined up today, and uh, throughout the year, we've got a lot of uh, really interesting people you might want to come back and see or listen to, I guess. So just in case this is the first time that you're tuning into our show, welcome. And let me give you a little rundown on how all this works. This show, Talent Talk, really centers around, um, you know, the topics of talent recruitment, management, leadership development, company culture, uh, employee engagement, and, you know, these are all just really timely topics for CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR pros, business leaders, and, you know, I I hope that, you know, as you come in here, you you can listen to these great uh, leaders and each week, and whether it's on the live broadcast, which some of you come in to hear us on, but most of you actually tune into the podcast on iTunes or iHeartRadio app. And as you do that, you hopefully will learn something you can take away that will help you impact uh, and grow your own career in a positive way. That's really what we want to do here is ask great questions, find out fantastic information, and you know something that you can actually use. Uh, as I, I have the privilege of meeting a lot of these inspiring leaders you know, before they're on the show, uh, usually it's a group that I'm in or a conference that I've spoken at or maybe I've gone to see them speak. And, you know, really what we're trying to do here is take that conversation that I would normally have with them as I kind of corner them and ask them 100 questions. Instead, I decided to put them on the radio and let our conversation be heard by everybody. Talent Talk uh, is a... Uh, happens every Tuesday, just about every Tuesday. We skip a few every once in a while, but every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And like I said, you can get us on iTunes or iHeartRadio as well. Uh, we've already amassed a really large following. Uh, last uh, week, there were over 280,000 of you that listened to one or more podcasts. Uh, really appreciate all the support, and a big thank you for everyone who tunes in on a regular basis. Um, last but not least, before I get to my guests, we'd love to have audience questions so if you want to send us a question a suggestion just say hi whatever it is uh use twitter type in uh whatever your question is and use that hashtag talent talk if you don't have a twitter account you can do it in like 10 seconds so go down there right now type in your question use the hashtag talent talk and my producer mike will try to feed me in the questions and we'll ask our our guests so so speaking of my guests uh, the first one is uh kim addis president of Frame of Mind Coaching. And then we'll have uh, Kelly Purdue. You may know his name. Uh, we'll talk about why you might recognize his name as well. He's a, besides being a good uh, entrepreneur, kind of several entrepreneur, he's also been on TV. So uh, managing partner uh, of a lot of places, but I think uh, the one we're going to talk about today is Moonshots Capital. So Kelly will join me in the second half of the show, but let's go ahead and get to my first guest. Uh, Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm really happy to be here. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you're happy, and I'm excited to have you on the show. And maybe you can kind of tell everyone a little bit about yourself, your background, and, you know, what you're currently doing. Well, I, uh, first of all, I'm uh, a mother of five, and uh, I run a coaching company called Frame of Mind Coaching. 
I have a team of coaches, and essentially we coach the highly driven population who are really interested in um, making a major leap forward in their business and personal lives. That's what we do in a nutshell. Well, I have three, so I don't know how you have five. Everyone always tells me four is easier than three kids because at least, you know, you can even them off, but five sounds like way more than I could ever handle. So the fact that you also have a coaching uh, company as well as having five, I, I guess you have probably have a lot of good secrets for us on time management and other things we'll, we'll get to. You know, I know as kind of inter- internationally renowned you know, business coach, what are some of the similarities that you've seen on a global scale when it comes to really the needs of business leaders? Well, here's the thing is that what I do when I coach people is I look at their thinking and I look at how their thinking impacts their outcomes. And we use a very specific process to do that. And so when I look at needs, um, I'm looking at it from a slightly different perspective. And for me, I think the biggest need that exists is a level of self-awareness, a level of reflection that doesn't currently exist in large part amongst leaders or business owners. It just doesn't. They're too busy. They're too much doing. They're too much uh, focused on what's the next thing that needs to get done. And so they don't have enough space, not enough time in their schedule to just kind of take a breath and ask themselves if they're even heading in the right direction. And so when we look at needs, I would say that the greatest need among leaders is really just to take a moment and assess where they are right now. Yeah, and that, that, I think, is fantastic advice. I recently have had this conversation a few times with business leaders, and I've asked them the question, what percentage of your day is, or of your week, or of your month, whatever time frame you want to look at, is spent in reflection, in analyzing, you know, where are we at and what's working, what's not working, things like that. And it shocks me that it's generally about the same percentage it was when maybe when they started off in the company at a much lower level, or maybe they started the same as they did on an entry-level position, that, you know, typically they should, as they kind of go up that corporate ladder, there should be more time. I'm going to guess you might agree with that. In my mind, there should be more time for that, not less time. But yet, especially at least in companies in the United States, there seems to be less and less time as people get more and more responsibility. Is that what you're seeing? Well, there's less and less time. The responsibility is more. The inputs are more. The distractions are more. You know, like every time you turn around, there's something else coming at you, whether it's an email or a a text message or uh, an important meeting or uh, a fire that someone has to put out or a crisis, whatever it is, or an opportunity. But it's, it's very hard to really be stringent about carving out time that is sacred time for that piece of self-reflection. And I would say that when I look at organizations and I look at the leader, the, re- the organization is a reflection of the leader's thinking. And so if you see an organization in chaos, you'll see a leader whose thought process is in chaos as well. And so that, that's really what you see. And so it's super important because there's a trickle-down effect that takes place from the leadership all the way down that the leader's thinking is clean and clear and is very uh, precise in where it's heading. 
unfortunately, a lot of people in leadership positions don't have time for that. And so they just march forward, and oftentimes they find themselves banging against the brick wall, and they're not sure why. And that's simply because they didn't orient themselves to begin with, and they're, they end up heading in the wrong direction and, and finding themselves in dead ends. So is this really about, you know, having the right frame of mind? Is it about having the time to reflect? Or, you know, what, what's sort of the right equation then for leaders, I guess, in the average situation? Because not, not, not everyone's company is, you know, in trouble. Not everyone's hair is on fire at the same time. So what, what's in general sort of the best practice? Or Actually, I hate that word. But what do you suggest people try to at least put into their day, you know, as it relates to having that right frame of mind? Well, when I coach clients, I ask them to journal on a daily basis. The reason I ask them to journal is because I want to see what their thinking patterns are like. And the, the, the issue here is that I find that leaders fall into traps, thinking traps. And those traps uh, get them caught and allow them to spiral down. So what do extraordinary leaders do who don't fall into those traps? What I have found is that these leaders who have achieved incredible goals have many things in common, but here are the top three. How's that? Great. Okay, so number one is uh, they're very, very clear about where they're headed. So they have a very clear sense of where they're going, and they're constantly turning them to themselves towards that direction. They notice the di- distraction, and they bring themselves back on track. So they're constantly aware of where they're headed. And so very often in businesses, in relationships, in interactions, we can get sidetracked. sidetracked. And what these leaders do is they notice the sidetrack, but they keep on their path. Okay, so that's number one, is they focus on where they're going, and they are not deterred from heading in that direction. So that's number one. Number two is they challenge their beliefs. So what does that mean? If they come across a problem or some type of adversity, they ask themselves a question. The question is this, how am I thinking about this that's causing me to experience a blockage or struggle? How am I thinking about this that's that's causing me to see it as a problem as opposed to an opportunity? So how is my thinking impacting the stress or the tension in the situation. How can I think about it a little bit differently? And so they're constantly challenging their fundamental beliefs about any given encounter, situation, or context. And the third thing that we find amongst really successful leaders is that they leverage their resources. And so it At no time do they say, I'm in this alone, it's all on my shoulders, I've got to carry the burden on my own. They're always looking around and saying, what resources can I access? Who can I ask for help? Whether it's experts in any given field, accountants, lawyers, coaches, whatever. But they're also looking for other types of resources like technology, uh, support systems, physical, structural systems to put in place. They're always, always accessing and leveraging their resources. So those are the three top strategies that leaders use to build their businesses and, and uh, organizations. Those are, those are wonderfully framed uh, things that any leader should be thinking about doing, and really anybody, even if they're not in a top leadership position. I think those are fantastic things for people to do. I wonder how many people that you've asked to journal, 
did it take them quite a while to actually carve out the time and get in the habit of actually journaling? Do you have a few of those people? Well, I, I do. I have some people who are resistant, but once they start journaling, you see the magical piece of journaling um, in this model is that when they journal, their journal goes to their coach. In some cases, it's me. Like, I have a team of coaches. And so what happens is, let's say you were my client, you would journal, and I would read and respond to your journal. So it would be like you were in a dialogue with me every day. So it's very, very intense. It's very intimate, but we're digging deep and we're traveling fast. So that what you're experiencing is tremendous personal transformation and self-awareness in a very short period of time. And I, and I love this idea of, you know, having this really clear idea about where you're headed. And, and I'm sure what goes along with that is probably communicating that and making sure those around you understand where you're headed or where you're taking the company or the department, the division, the team, whatever it may be. You know, for whatever reason, that always seemed very clear to me in business. And then I was in a, I'm in a sort of outside of a, in a creative uh, atmosphere with a group of people. And I really tried not to be the one in charge and to back off and to, you know, say, I'm not going to do what I do at work. And it took me about a year to figure out, well, this isn't working because we're really, I'm not clearly kind of telling people where I expect this to go. It's okay to let everyone else be just as creative and have input, but if we don't have that clear idea about where we're headed, then everyone's kind of walking in the wrong direction and bumping in. It's like we're in the dark. And um, well, so my, my attempts that's a great to, example. Yeah, my attempts to not be, you know, to not drive things where I wanted it, but to be a collaborative failed in that regard just because I ha we hadn't at least decided as a group what the direction was. Well, that's that's an example of not being kind of clear in terms of communicating what your direction is. I've seen other examples where people state their intention and direction, and then, you know, a few weeks in, a month in, suddenly they've forgotten where they were headed, and they completely change direction and sometimes head in the completely opposite way unintentionally because right. they got distracted or something threw them off course. And I see that very, very often. Yeah, that's, that's a great point. I mean, we have to remember to go back and, and review our goals and review our uh, direction and to keep thinking about those things on a regular basis because it is distractions and a new idea. I mean, I'm guilty of this, new, uh, new idea syndrome. Um, that's right. And you can suddenly forget some of those kind of core things that you were doing or if you have a group of people working on an idea that you've forgotten about or <laughs> you come back to it. So, you know... Uh, if you have the right frame of mind and you're kind of doing this, then I'm sure there may be some roadblocks that you see that business leaders confront or they struggle with to, to get around. Do you, do you have some examples there? Absolutely. So uh, I, actually, I wrote a white paper on the seven thinking traps that leaders encounter. And so what we found are seven common pitfalls or roadblocks that they fall into. Um, the first one is tunnel vision. And that is uh, when a leader is really single-minded, they're very clear about what they're there to do, but it becomes a little bit robotic. And they just go in, they do their stuff, they get it done, and what they lose sight of is the bigger picture, and any opportunity that comes their way, they just block it out. And so that's one trap that we've seen. Another one is isolation. A lot of leaders who feel like I'm 
in it alone. It's all on my shoulders. If I've if I'm gonna do if it's gonna get done well, I've got to do it on my own. We see a lot of that. We see a problem with image management. And what does that mean? It means that they're very concerned with what other people think. They point blame outwards, and uh, they don't take full responsibility. And they're constantly just in a state of worry and concern over the opinions of others. And that really debilitates them. The the fourth one is poor decision-making. And uh, what I'm talking about there is that people sometimes in a leadership position make decisions because they need to be efficient. And so they choose to work with people who aren't always necessarily aligned with their values or their vision or their uh, intentions for that matter. And uh, they think, well, I don't have any other choice. This is the closest. I have to move forward. And so in the interest of taking action, they make decisions that really aren't in their best interest. The next one is complacency. And that's where um, a leader just uh, kind of gets in a rut or in a routine and uh, thinks that things are going swimmingly well and doesn't really uh, think forward and look ahead and start to strategically plan what could be coming down the road. The the next one is short-sightedness where, you know, lots of leaders are fighting fires or, you know, dealing with the crisis of the moment and they're just happy that they've survived. And once again, they're not planning for the future. They're not thinking strategically. They're not looking ahead for the opportunity that's in front of them. And and finally, the last one is fear of failure, where people are so afraid of failing that they just are paralyzed and don't take any action. So those are the, the fundamental um, struggles we see that leaders fall into. Well, and those are... Uh, you know, I think we probably, I, I was like thinking of people as you were saying that, you know, that I've experienced in my career, um, whether they were bosses or, or leaders or maybe uh, even customers or vendors, but you see those types of, of, of problems, um, you know, and like so often people just want to, like you said, solve a problem or just, you know, they move so quickly through it, they don't take the time to really think about is this an opportunity, is there a better way to do this? Um, we see that one a lot. Like it feels like in the last five years, people have gotten even even more distracted or, or have have less time to stop and think about things. So they're just making decisions to make them and to clear them off their plate. Almost like you know taking that idea of tasks and writing them down to, to an extreme that it was never meant. And and, and it can be it can be really difficult, I think, for for people to get out of that habit. And, and it start, I think it probably starts to really impact then people down below. Have you seen the, how how some of those um, issues? Have you, have you studied that, or had some maybe have a story around how that impacts those people that are just below that leader um, in, in in how they feel about their jobs and, and the company at large? Well, it's huge, right? So if a leader is trapped in one of these areas, the trickle down effect is magnified, right? And so. Um, each one of us comes to the table with a set of thinking patterns that sometimes propel us forward and sometimes hold us back. And so the job of the leader is to constantly do the work of identifying their own thinking patterns that are standing in the way. So if they come to the table with a set of, um, let's call them thinking traps, and there's a trickle-down effect, not only does it just affect the organization, it triggers some of the lower levels with their own 
sense of insecurities or the, the traps that they fall into of their own. So now it becomes an expanded problem. Yeah, absolutely. And it just yeah magnifies all the way down. Exactly. So, you know, what are some so, of the basic tools you help teach leaders when they come across you know these difficult situations? Or does it kind of vary situation to situation or leader to leader? Well, I'll tell you something. You know, one of the things that we do, again, when we coach people is we look at how they think in a variety of settings. So we don't only look at their thinking, you know, in their work environment or as a leader with employees and their team. We don't only look at that, but we look at how they show up in their families, if they're a mother or father, how they parent. We show, we look at how they show up in their families as a brother or sister, in their communities, etc. And what we look at is what is the, what are the patterns that we see that, that cross over into all of these different areas or components. And, and so in terms of tools, what we try to do is we tell people to start to notice like how they feel, what their mood is, and help them understand the mechanics of what we call thought mastery. And the ma- part one one beautiful part of the mechanics are is that if you're feeling kind of off or negative or mad or uh, frustrated, that's an indicator that your thinking is actually doing you a disservice. That your thinking is pointed away from what you really want. And so that's the moment to catch yourself and really ask yourself, okay, wait a second, where was I going and what do I want? Because right now, everything I'm thinking about is almost the opposite of what I want. So you see leaders who are totally frustrated sometimes with their team, that they're not performing, that they're not getting the best out of them, that sometimes the team is taking advantage of them or they don't know who to trust, and on and on and on, right? We see that over and over again. And when that language starts to happen, when that, when that, story starts to show up, what happens is that uh, the leader actually stops building what it is that he or she wants to be building and instead creates an experience of tension and frustration and stress. And so we always want to help leaders pivot back to what they want and ask them, what do you want to be building and is this approach, this approach of being frustrated, does that help you build what you want to build? And what they notice is that in their state of frustration, they're actually creating a bigger divide between where they are and where they actually want to be. And so we're constantly helping them close the gap. Oh, that's great. And that's a, a super kind of a approach to really help uh, leaders and really thinking about it in a way that, you know, as I was kind of already mentioned, that they're not thinking about it. Well, I'll one of our you. favorite I'll... questions to ask our guests, and hopefully you have a fantastic answer, so no pressure is uh, what are you reading right now? Can you tell us about that book? I'm reading a book called Fanatical Prospecting by a guy named Jeb Blount. Um, and basically it's the idea that, you know, in today's day and age, a lot of people denounce the idea of cold calling. And he says that if you're not prospecting, you're, uh, you're really missing out on the biggest uh, opportunity there is. And that, you know, that is really the core way to grow your business. And so it's just an interesting perspective. He's a very uh, he's a very black and white kind of writer, and so it's uh, it's entertaining to some degree, but it also hits you between the eyes to say, hey, you know, like there are some things you just can't avoid. You can't avoid picking up the phone. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, it sounds like a, a wonderful book, and don't forget to all of our listeners that we do a blog recap on our website, peoplegt2.com, and. 
we list all of the, the best things that our guests said and any of the books that they mentioned, and we put a link there for you. So if you don't have a pen and paper, we'll, we'll have that there for you. You know, I really enjoyed our time so far here today, and we're just about out of time. Um, how can people get a hold of you if they're interested in learning more about your company and what you're doing and uh, if you know, are interested in your services? Well, the best way to reach me is to go to frameofmindcoaching.com. Um, there's a whole bunch of information there, and I invite people to fill out an assessment, which is an assessment of their mindset, of their frame of mind. And one of the things that I mentioned at the beginning of this conversation was the idea that people don't exactly know where they are right now. And that's the single most important starting point, and that assessment gives you an idea of where you are right now, like how are things going in your life right now, and what exactly is it that you would like to look at maybe uh, shifting over or making changes on. So that's a really great starting point for you, whether you're working independently or with uh, a professional coach. Well, that's great, Kim, and I really, again, really appreciate having you on the show. Um, we didn't get to everything, so hopefully we have you come back at some point and give us a uh an update on what you're doing, and we can get to all the other great stuff that uh, I know you're you're versed to talking about. But uh, again, thank you for, for coming on the show today. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. All right, up next we'll have Kelly Purdue, who will join me after this quick commercial break. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results. A cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge. With the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days. All with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. Welcome back to the Town Talk Radio Show. As a reminder, if you have a question for my next guest, you can send it to us via Twitter. Just pop in that question. Use the hashtag uh, Talent Talk, and my producer, Mike, will uh, try to get it over to me. Um, don't forget, you can also listen to us on uh, iHeartRadio app or the uh, podcast app with iTunes. You can go to talenttalkradio.com. There just really is an endless supply of ways to, to access the show if you'd like to. I know most of our guests do it in the car or in our other kids' soccer practice or whatever it is. They can pop on an episode and, and hopefully get a little bit of knowledge. So we're hoping our, our next guest will be uh, helping that. Uh, we have Kelly Purdue, managing partner at uh, Moonshot Capital, and he is a, uh, re- re- a returner here, so he's a second-timer on the show. Kelly, welcome. 
Thank you very much. Happy to be here. Yeah, so tell everyone a little bit about yourself and your background and uh, what you're currently up to. Sure. Um, well, I went to uh, West Point for undergraduate uh, and served in the military as a military intelligence officer and airborne ranger. When I got out of the military, I went to law and business school at UCLA, uh, where uh, the entrepreneurial bug bit me, and I have now been a founder and or senior team member of nine different businesses. Uh, two were learning experiences. Reed uh, didn't go so well. Um, five of them have uh, successfully been sold, and two of them are currently operating profitably. Uh, and then probably in the last 10 years, I've spent a lot more of my time in addition to building companies, also uh, investing as an angel uh, in early stage technology companies and then formalize that over the last year and a half by founding Moonshots Capital. Well, it sounds like you're a very busy guy, so maybe we could pick out a few of the, the highlights or the ones that you're most proud of that you kind of gave us there in summary, because I know you have lots of different investments that you've made, even just since you know your, your appearance on the show last year. Um, I think some of those might have been local ID, uh, Casita. There's some, lots of different ones, but maybe you could pick one or two you're really proud of and kind of give us, uh, you know, the rundown on what the company was about and, and, and how you kind of took it to a successful point. Uh, absolutely. So we've recently made an investment in a company called uh, Crosschecks, um, which basically is identity for healthcare. And I'm sure you and all the listeners out there have had the experience of walking into a doctor's office or a hospital and. The form of identity there is a clipboard with about a uh, hundred little lines to fill out with a pencil or a pen. Uh, even if it's your same doctor that you've been going to for years, but it's been about six months, they need you to redo your identity. Cross checks is kind of disrupting and revolutionizing uh, the ability to uh, match and track identity in the healthcare system. So think about having all of your medical records from your dentist, your doctor. You know, the time at one time you had surgery the emergency room you went to, being able to kind of consolidate all those into a single digital capability file that everybody has access to. And it, it's it's literally going to revolutionize the way uh, healthcare practice works. Uh, their long-term objective is to increase uh, longevity in the United States by 10 years. So uh, it's, a, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty neat objective or goal. Uh, it's a very exciting company um, run by a, a veteran, Sean Lane. I can't tell you how many times I've had that argument with a doctor's office. And I say, <laughs> you're asking me to put the same information on every one of these 20 forms. How do you not need my, how do you need my name more than one time? Um, yeah, so envision uh, checking in with your fingerprint, your mobile yeah. phone, uh, phone number, and your email address. And then when you sit down in the waiting room, currently everybody's already sitting there on their mobile phone. But there's a big screen that's got uh, your mobile phone number and how many minutes until you, until you go. Um, it's it's radically increasing throughput and decreasing wait time in waiting rooms, too, because it's now trackable. Well, and I'm sure that the users uh, are going to love it. Patients are going to love it. I imagine your biggest challenge will be getting the doctors to actually adopt it because they seem to have the slowest. Uh, so that's, yeah. yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what um, everybody had said at the beginning of the company a little over two years ago. But uh Apparently, um, they've been very, very successful at cracking the code on how to get into these doctor's offices and made it as easy as basically uh, when you get your cross-checks platform, it's like getting a, your, your new iPad. comes in a nice white box, and you just plug it into the server, and it takes over from there. So they've really, really uh, streamlined the ability to, to grow. 
Well, it seems like you've got a good knack for picking some winners and, and looking at markets that are have a real need. So what do you look for in a company when you choose to, to make that type of investment? Well, initially, when I first started angel investing, I was very much, you know, it was all about the entrepreneur and the passion and the idea. Um, and since my partner, Craig Cummings, also a West Point graduate in Moonshots Capital, um, since we kind of formed the company a year and a half ago, we've, we've kind of, as you might imagine, with some discipline, um, gotten a little bit stricter on the guidelines of what we do. So we're looking for disruptive ideas that can really potentially reach a billion-dollar valuation. So you know, I won't say unicorn, but certainly moonshots, uh, hence the name. Uh, the product um, that we invest in has to already be live with some customers so that there's a product market fit. Uh, and then they have monthly recurring revenues um, already so that, okay, it works, they're solving a problem, and there's an opportunity to grow the business. Um, additionally, we like it if they've raised at least half a million dollars before they meet us. That typically is beyond the friends and family round. And it means that somebody else uh, is also drinking the Kool-Aid, saying, hey, this is a great business to be in. Uh, and then the applicability of Craig's and my network. Um, we've been around a while. Uh, we've built a few businesses to, together and separately, and we have some influence in some of those. If we're able to kind of apply our network and be able to help, in addition to just our putting our money in, but also being able to help with our network, uh, that's important, too. So you're looking for a certain amount of synergy there and even if it's just doesn't have to be directly related but if you can your other companies your network things like that can benefit from it can help you be successful that that's a that's a good uh, a good company that you might be looking into yeah absolutely and we see probably i want to say close to 100 companies a month and we go to deeper due diligence on two or three and we usually only invest in one every 30 to 45 days wow 100 that's a lot that's a lot for to, to be looking at and have to, to move on to. So uh, you guys are busy. Uh, pretty busy. Got a, got a pretty good process, too, that we've streamlined. So, Of course. Of course you have. So, Well, I know as a business leader and investor, you know, when you make the decisions to take, maybe take on a board seat or an advisory role, you know, what types of, of business advice or leadership presence do you try and provide to those around you? you know, what's, what's sort of that core thing? You know that Kelly Purdue brings to any organization, regardless of how you've gotten to, to that seat. Sure, um, and when we do take advisory or, or board seat roles, our and spe- specifically my my contribution is typically around three areas. Uh, one is in general company building, taking a company from four or five or six people to thirty, forty, fifty, a hundred people. Something that I've done a few times, and unless you do it. Uh, reading about it's great, but unless you're doing it, um, it's very hard to navigate around the potholes or not run into the walls. And so I try to be that kind of uh, helpful, been there and done that advice um, in the company building process. Second, um, raising raising capital. Um, it is not, if you've never done it before, you have no idea what you're doing, and there are certain things that you should be doing at certain times. Uh, and having done it now quite a few times, I'm able to provide that advice to the founding team or the CEO uh, as they're going about it. And then finally, I kind of came up, everybody's got some form of an expertise, usually, um, whether it's finance or sales or marketing or whatever it might be, and I kind of came up through business development. So putting together you know, significant kind of step function change in value deals for companies. So when there's a really big deal that's happening, because I've had experience with that, I sometimes kind of roll up my sleeves and get more involved and help the company hopefully make that a successful outcome. So I know you kind of talked about this process that you have, and you know, as you're 
investing into, let's say, a startup uh, and they've met your criteria, there, there's you know still some risk there. Uh, so you know, as this entrepreneur comes to you, and and what is it you want to see for them to kind of make it, you know, or to know that it's something you want to make an investment in? I mean, I, yeah, I'm assuming the idea's got to be there. I'm assuming the entrepreneur's got to have passion around it. You mentioned you want to have, you want to see some other interests from other parties outside of friends and family. But is there anything else in there that's kind of really important to you? Um, yeah, that, yeah, absolutely. On the uh, personal characteristics of the entrepreneur, um, you mentioned passion. That's critical. It's kind of tied a little bit into the second one, which is perseverance. It, it, all of these kind of what everybody looks at and go, oh, wow, that's an overnight success. They're usually like seven to ten years of really hard work before you see the company has been successful. And the, 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 there can't be any quit in them for what they're doing, um, you know, to kind of bond to that passion of they're really excited about solving a big problem. Um, and then kind of the third one, I'd say, with passion, perseverance is planning. It's, it's very difficult um, to make adjustments, to make intelligent decisions if you're not measuring uh, activities and and you have a plan or an objective that you're shooting for in the military they call it kind of heuristic planning right you have this mission you've got a final objective what are the milestones that get you there and what are the individual tasks associated with reaching each milestone now you may change the objective but if you're not tracking and measuring along the way with a plan you have no idea if you're on course or you're off course so um you know, three I would consider really important characteristics of the of the entrepreneurs that we like to invest in are passion, perseverance, and a an appreciation for and understanding how to plan. Well, you know, certainly we we mentioned it here a few times. You have a, a deep roots in your your military training and education uh, at West Point, and certainly I you know this has got to really impacted your your own leadership. Uh, you know, and it's it's. I find it fascinating how well you've been able to transform it or transfer it into the private world, which not everyone is able to do effectively, because you know there, there can be, there can be some things that are tough to, to adjust to. So, you know, what type of leader do you think that that's really, you know, how has that influenced you to be the leader you are today? I guess would be the better way to, to phrase it. Well, it's um, it's interesting because um, you know, right after I won uh, the Apprentice, I got that question a lot like you know do you think your military background helped you win the show do you help to think this helped you in business and i was actually so um impacted by all those people asking those questions that i wrote a book called take command Mm -hmm. 10 leadership principles i learned in the military and put to work for donald trump so i believe strongly that the leadership principles that i learned in the military were directly applicable to business um three of those passion perseverance and planning of course but Absolutely, and I, and I don't think it's you know exclusive to the military, right? Everybody can develop uh, their leadership capabilities if they focus on them and think about them, right? You know, your ability to plan. Um, you know, passion is not something you kind of teach, right? But uh, integrity is something you absolutely, definitely practice at all times. The ability, you know, to to, to have a flexible response, right? Not just saying, "Oh, I'm going to do this the same way every time." When you see a problem, right? Every if you you know if you only have a hammer, everything looks like a nail. Well, having the ability to be very, very flexible is an incredibly important leadership characteristic that I wrote about in the book. But all of those are honed in the military, so I do attribute a significant amount of my kind of the way I operate and how I operate to those things that I did learn in the military. You know, one one lesson I learned from just from someone I knew that uh, had a lot of big impact on me that had been in the, the military was 
you know, they told me that you can't prepare for every, if you, you know, since if you prepare for every possible outcome or every possible thing that could happen, you end up being only partially prepared for a lot of things and not, so you're not really ready. And the, kind of the focus on was being really, really prepared for what is, you know, really most likely. Um, and, and then, and then because of that training, because you're ready, when that odd thing happens, then you should be able to pivot and figure it out. Um, you know, and that that's interesting because I think in the business world, oftentimes we will try to be prepared for a hundred different possibilities when yet really you've only got two or three are going to happen. You don't really have two or three profiles on an ideal client, um, not a hundred. Um, and that was a lesson that I, I took in. Is, is, that, is that, you know, parallel anything that of experience that you had in, in your training? Sure. Um, it's interesting because um, kind of, I think the movies kind of play up a little bit of the, um, yes, sir, no, sir, in the military, you're, you're mm-hmm. only following orders. Um, when, in fact, uh, the opposite is true. Um, when you're giving an operations order for, uh, you know, a mission to take, let's say, go take that hill, that's that's the order. It doesn't tell you how to go take the hill. That's up for the next lower unit to decide exactly how they're going to go take the hill. So you could give a company commander in one unit that mission, and the next company commander from a different unit, the exact same mission, and they're going to come up with incredibly creative different ways to solve the problem. And as you just described, in business, your business plan is fantastic. Like I said, you have a plan. However, uh, I guess uh, you know, no, no plan survives first contact. So, <laughs> you know, your competitors do things differently. The marketplace changes. Um, and I think that's why it's so important to train and focus on uh, intelligent creativity and problem solving with your teams that you're building. Kind of hire the smartest people you can and train them and teach them to be and give them enough, I guess, you know, slack and don't micromanage them so that they can do their own problem solving on their own. And it creates a, I think, a much more uh, vibrant organization and one that's probably more likely to survive. Well, Daniel Peake talked about it, and we, I probably mentioned it in almost every speech I ever give. Um, is about this idea of mastery, autonomy, and purpose. And so you really kind of dove, dove into the autonomy part. And I think you're right with movies and TV and things, the way that it's portrayed. Most would believe that there is no autonomy given in, in the military, at least not at most levels. But, you know, really what you're saying is exactly what we want businesses to do. Is It's fine to give an order. It's fine to say, hey, we need to get this thing done. But it's the best possible scenario when we allow that next person who you've assigned to go get that done the freedom to go and do it, and to have that time to figure out how to do it. You know, as long, within the constraints of their job, I mean, they don't get freedom to go do whatever they want. They're not going to go order a Ferrari as a part of the reason why they need to go and you know get a new client. I mean, it needs to be reasonable. But so often that is not the case in companies. There, every level of management is micromanaged. There is really no decision-making happening at, at, at the average company, and yet they, you know, scream and cry that there's no innovation, that they can't keep people, and, <laughs> and, you know, and it, 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 I know it's complicated, but, you know, when you're sitting outside of it, 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 it it's, it's not that hard. You know, give people that opportunity to go to go do that. Give them the training they need, and then give them the opportunity to go and show what they can do. It, it's it, it really is, that, that part of it does remind me a little bit of, of, of the movies in some way, so... I'm glad you're bringing up that point. Um, you know, another question I want to ask you is because we're kind of on this idea here of motivating our our employees. Uh, you know, whether it's in a startup who has a few hires or maybe it's a large company, 
What do you feel leaders really need to, to understand about their employees to create that kind of effective engagement type of a program? Yeah, I think the um, t- you know today's workforce um, incredibly intelligent. Uh, and the IQ is an EQ also, right? Emotional quotient. There's things that they want to do with their lives that aren't just associated with work. And one of the things that I've seen in probably the most successful companies is this idea of loyalty. And, you know, when, when the, when the company's talking about loyalty, it's usually under the guise of, hey, you're going to have to work this weekend because we need to get a product out or, uh, I've got to cancel your leave because we've got a whole bunch of stuff going on. And what you don't hear or see as much about in, um, kind of average or run-of-the-mill companies is, the, is the, a, 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 an idea of 360 degrees loyalty, right? So, hey, can you cover for me to your to your colleague? Well, because I've got this thing that I want to do with my family or whatever it might be, uh, and then loyalty downward, right? So, uh, remembering that I did take up your weekend uh, with that product release that we had to get out the door, you know, and th- you know, three all-nighters and we got it out the door. Hey, take the next three days off, even though it's in the middle of the week. It's just small examples of having some type of 360-degree loyalty. I think that that type of kind of mindset in an organization where it permeates the organization that way creates – it's a way of uh, giving the employee uh, kind of a vote of confidence that, hey, you're not, just, you're not just here for me. I'm also here for you. I think that goes a long way to creating an environment where people feel comfortable doing things that they might not otherwise feel comfortable doing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, there. Sometimes it's the simplest thing, like telling someone, "It's been a long time since you've been on a vacation. You need to go on vacation." I mean, I've had this conversation with my staff before, and it's like, "I get it. You're you're dedicated. I appreciate. It. You need to go on vacation. It's been over a year and a half since you, you know." And just that act, sometimes that has been really impactful. That. You know, I'm the boss trying to look out for the employees to say, you need to, to take care of yourself or you did this special thing. Here, go do this. Uh, it's, it's incredibly impactful and it really doesn't, those are the types of things that don't cost money. It's just not a, not engaging through giving people hats or, you know, $5 gift cards every time that they, you know, meet their deadline to Starbucks or something. These are just, you know, <laughs> these are things that you can do that are a human, one human being can do for another. It, it you know, it's that capacity to be to be empathetic and uh, to to remember the things they did for you. But it's it seems so it's complicated, but it, it, it's certainly simple in the way you're phrasing it. I, I appreciate it. Yeah, and, and make it a real vacation. Right. Meaning, right. we're going to oh, protect oh. you and not bother you the whole time. <laughs> I have literally had to send people emails and tell them, "You, I expect you to be disconnected." <laughs> I know how to get a hold of you. There's an emergency. I do not want you answering emails. They still do it, but you know, it's like, yeah, please be disconnected. <laughs> yeah. Well, you mentioned your book, and I hope people will check that out. It sounds like a wonderful book to check out. And I, uh, despite what anyone's political feelings might be about Mr. Trump, I certainly hope that his rise to political fame may be helping your book sales. Um, <laughs> but but uh, outside of that book. Uh, is there a book that you're reading right now that you might share with the audience? Uh, sure, yeah. I just started reading um, The Checklist Manifesto, How to Get Things Right. And I can, I'm going to completely slaughter his name, Aful Gawande. But it, it's basically um, this this you know thought uh, that there's so much information in the world and we have access to so many things, but the kind of the human element fouls things up frequently, whether it's uh, in an operating room or wherever it might be, where there's, you know, if you can do things 
we know to do correctly, then you'll get a good outcome, but we, 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 we're fallible, right? We miss it all the time. And a real easy way uh, to increase performance uh, and likelihood of success is to have checklists. Um, and, it, and, it, and it actually harkens back to kind of the standard operating procedures that they have in the military, right? Like for whatever, building a rope bridge. You don't have to reinvent the wheel every time on some of that stuff. There's a specific instructions and a set of checklists that you do when you're doing that. When you come in to set up a camp, when you come into an airfield to take an airfield, there are certain things to do that have been documented over time that when you do these things, you know, success is 90% likely. If you don't have that checklist or forget to look at it, um, human nature kicks in uh, and you can start to have really bad things occur. So uh, it's pretty interesting. I'm about halfway through it, and I'd recommend it so far. Well, and we will again... Uh have a recap on the on our blog here of this interview. We will put that book in that recap in case you didn't have a chance to write down the the book name or if uh, Kelly's uh, re- repeating of the name wasn't quite uh, correct, we'll have it there in written form. So it uh, sounds like a great book to check out. I know uh, checklists and things like that are, are really helpful for us and something we do on a regular basis. So it sounds like uh, something can help anybody out uh, and they should check it out. Uh, Kelly, thank you so much for coming back and being our guest again here on the show. Uh, always uh, enjoy kind of watching you from afar and all the cool things that you're involved in and the success you're having. So please keep it up so we can have you come back and, and tell us some other great things uh, next time. I appreciate you having me. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks again to both of my guests. Uh, hopefully uh, you listened and picked up something that will help your own career in a positive way. Uh, next week uh, we will for sure have Michael Arena, the Chief Talent Officer, uh, for the General Motors Corporation. I'm sure you might have heard of them before. Um, and we may be adding another guest. We might just take Michael for a full hour. We haven't decided. But uh, between now and then, uh, check us out on iTunes, iHeartRadio. And until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2. 